Tom Verducci, do you remember the first time you heard the name Bryce Harper? Mm, the first time I heard his name, I think I heard about this home run derby that they had at Tropicana Field for high school kids. And I saw a note that this kid, Bryce Harper, hit one off the back wall at Tropicana Field. Right, this is back in 2009 when Bryce Harper is just 16 years old, I believe. And you can actually hear the clang of the metal bat. And there's an even louder boom after that when the ball actually hits the back of the dome at Tropicana Field. I've been in that park, and that's a bomb, right? Yep. And I know they're using metal bats, but this is a high school kid going up someplace where most major league players would never go. So I'm like, hmm. You hear these stories, and maybe it was an exaggeration. So I was like, let me find out what's going on with this Bryce Harper dude. I went to see him out in Vegas, spent a couple of days with him and his family, went out to dinner, watched him play a high school game. Watching him play a high school baseball game, it was actually scary. (laughs) Wait, what makes it scary? It's scary because back then, Bryce had the same pretty much bat speed he's got now, which is like elite major league level bat speed. Mm. It was like Gary Sheffield, Jose Canseco type of bat speed. He hit a line drive that the second baseman jumped for and thought he could catch it. And it didn't stop until it hit the right field fence. (laughs) It was just scorched. I heard he hit this home run in high school that went, I forget the distance. It was way over five, like 550 feet or whatever it was. And I went to this field where he hit it and they were telling me it, it cleared the fence, it cleared this road, it cleared everything. And I walked out there and I saw it and like, no, this can't, it can't possibly be. I mean, maybe with a, you know, a driver and a Titleist, you hit it that far. (laughs) But no, his coach told me it absolutely happened, and I believed it because his power was just that tremendous. So back in 2009, Tom, you you meet this myth. You meet this Paul Bunyan baseball prodigy out in Las Vegas. And then this past Sunday, this is now 13 years later, you're in Philadelphia. You're covering the series-clinching game for the Phillies, and this happens. Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes! Harper, the swing of his life! That's him hitting the go-ahead home run to send the Phillies to the World Series. And when that happens and you're there watching it, what immediately hit you in that moment? What hit me was the fact that by this time, obviously the world knows who Bryce Harper is and he's one of the best players in the game. I immediately started to think, And it doesn't get any better than this in sports. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, they're going to have the ball in their hands in the last second shot, right? Mm. Tom Brady's going to have the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter. We, We know that. But in baseball, it's random as to where the lineup falls. And so we don't have a lot of those moments in baseball with the great players. I was racking my brain. I thought about Kirby Puckett in 91 with Minnesota, the walk-off homer in game six. Into deep left center for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow night. So I thought about, obviously, Carlton Fisk in 75. We'll have a seventh game in this 1975 World Series. 
And yeah, I, I flashed back to when he was 16 years old. I mean, he really blew me away with his maturity. Totally confident. I go back and look at some of these quotes here about, you know, he wants to be in the Hall of Fame, be best player ever, and all this stuff. I want to be the best player who ever played the game. I want to be the best hitter who's ever played the game. You know, that's, that's why you play the game, to make it there and make it that far, make it to Cooperstown, be on that ballot. I mean, that's a 16-year-old kid talking. But that's the thing about Bryce. He loves those moments. I didn't think about it again until after the game. I, when I came off the platform for the ceremony, the presentation, obviously I handed Bryce his NLCS MVP trophy. Yep. This is the National League Championship Series Most Valuable Player Award. No surprise, Bryce Harper. I was talking to his dad, Ron, on the field. And it was Ron Harper who said, you know what? I saw you up there giving Bryce Harper the NLCS MVP trophy. And I thought back of you and me watching him play high school ball all those years ago for the SI story. And I said, man, life goes fast, doesn't it? He says, yeah, it really does. So that was full circle moment right there. So I kind of forgot all about Bryce Harper this year, which now qualifies officially as a pretty embarrassing admission. But in my defense, he got hurt. The Phillies were allegedly the worst team in the entire playoffs. Thank you, Jeff Passan. And I thought it was safe to just stop thinking about this once mythical prodigy who had also never won a playoff series before. So today, we talked to the reporter who did not forget who wrote the foundational cover story that introduced Bryce Harper to America and who is about to cover him from up close as the Phillies head to Houston for the World Series tonight. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, October 28th. This is ESPN Daily. Tom, we worked together at Sports Illustrated. And by that, I mean, my job on occasion was to fact check your stories and your job was to be one of the most decorated sports writers of all time. Mm -hmm. So it is good to also come full circle with you here. You're now also broadcasting, reporting for Fox. You'll be working this World Series between the Astros and the Phillies. But the reason why I, I summoned you back into my life is because of this cover story that you wrote for Sports Illustrated with the dateline of June 8th, 2009. And I know from experience that the writers don't get to write the headlines at Sports Illustrated. But the headline is worth reading. It says, baseball's chosen one. Bryce Harper is the most exciting prodigy since LeBron. And there on the cover is this photograph of a 16-year-old Bryce Harper swinging a bat out in the desert. And so in June 2009, just to go back in time with you for a sec, when you were about to put that cover story out into the world with your name attached, what were you thinking? <laughs> Well, first of all, I didn't know it was going to be a cover. I go out there to report the story thinking this is a pretty cool feature story about this really great high school player. I had no idea it was going to be a cover until I was actually done writing the story and turned it in and I found out it was a cover story. My first reaction was, man, that that's like a lot of pressure to put on a 16-year-old kid to put him on yeah, the cover. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, you think? <laughs> <laughs> but the more I spent time with him, I realized he's not just... A really great player, but he had a he had his head on his shoulders really well for a 16-year-old kid. 
So it turns out to be the cover. It's an awesome shot, by the way. It, it the is. way they did that, this is the artistry of it was really, really cool. And then the, the LeBron comparison is really interesting because when I made that comparison and I, and I wrote it this way, I wasn't saying he was going to be as great as LeBron James. My point was LeBron was so good in high school, he probably could have played in the NBA, right? Mm. I mean, they were covering his high school games. He was just amazing in high school. He's just so developed as a basketball player. I got that sense with Bryce as a baseball player. I saw major league bat speed. I saw a guy who was totally invested in the game. And I was thinking, you know what? That doesn't happen much in baseball. So that's why I call him baseball's LeBron James because to me, he was a 16-year-old prodigy. I don't think he could play in the big leagues at 16. It turned out it took him until he was all the way at 19 years yeah, old to play yeah. in the big leagues. <laughs> but I did get the sense that if this can happen in other sports, why can't it happen in baseball where somebody is this good, this young, and kind of just shrinks that development clock. So it wasn't forecasting necessarily what his ceiling was going to be. It was how good, how young Bryce Harper was. Yeah, and I want to read a little bit of what you wrote in that story to make that point. You said that golf has Tiger Woods, basketball has LeBron James, hockey had Wayne Gretzky, military history had Alexander the Great. But baseball, like jazz, is a discipline that does not easily engender prodigies. And then you asked Bryce Harper about his goals as a ball player. And you said that he replied with certainty this way, quote, be in the hall of fame. Definitely be considered the greatest baseball player who ever lived. I can't wait. End quote. And when you're listening to a 16 year old, you've never met before tell you that he wants to be uh, just the greatest who's ever done it. What are you thinking at that point? Oh, youthful confidence. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> really, I mean, the way he said it, I mean, if you just saw the quote, you'd think, man, this guy's just full of it. He's just a braggart, right? Yes. It was just total confidence. You know, it's funny. During the um, playoffs, I talked to Blake Snell, the Padres, and he played against Bryce in travel ball. And of course, he remembers Bryce back then. They started playing against each other when they were 10. And he said Bryce was head and shoulders above everybody else. But he said kids on the team were saying... There's that Bryce Harper kid. He's always in the cage with his dad. They were like trying to run him down. Like, you know, oh, that's all he wants to do is, is play baseball. But that's like a compliment. <laughs> that's, you know, it, yes, super talented. I get it. But based on those quotes from what you just read from that story and what he was like at even 10 and 11 years old, dedicated to being not just a baseball player, but a great baseball player. I mean, the other thing I hear when I listen to that quote, trying to not know anything about what would happen thereafter, is I, I think of just, oh, this kid's arrogant. This kid's kind of maybe an asshole. Tell me, though, about his upbringing, his parents, the guy that he wanted to just be in the cage with all the time. Yeah, his dad, Ron, was an iron worker on the Vegas Strip, building a lot of the, the buildings you see there. And you know, uh, as blue collar as it gets, right? Uh, his mom, Sherry, he's got a sister. He's got another brother who has played minor league baseball, a pitcher who was sort of like a role model for him, older brother. His dad would have Bryce swinging these heavy metal rebars that he used at work to develop his muscles and his swing. Bryce was the kind of guy, he was always playing against older competition. Right, I mean, he was getting on a plane and playing in these travel tournaments when he was 10, 11 years old. Mm. Uh, quite a ball player right that's there. We'll a talk about 12, him a little that's more. a large 12-year-old right there. Uh, so far, what I think I've gathered, he's, he's about 6'1", and somewhere around 170 he's, pounds at 12, 12 years, old. years old. Playing for teams in California and teams in, not just in Vegas, but all across the West. Right, I mean, his mom, Sherry, talked about this in those early travel baseball days. 
He loves to travel he, because he loves the tournaments. I mean, there's been many times that he'll come home on a Sunday after, you know, having 10 games for the weekend, and he'll only be home for an hour, and he'll say, hey, Dad, let's go hit. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Generally, he's playing at least an age or two ages up. And this happened, obviously, when he graduated early from high school. He took the GED test to make himself draft eligible earlier, played one year in JC. In junior college, he's playing with a wood bat at, what, 16 years old, 16 and a half years old against guys who are 18, 19, 20, and more than holding his own. He was a star. So he was kind of, I don't want to say groomed. I just think this is what he wanted to be. And his dad was really a big part of it. After the story comes out, right, and he's 16 and the quotes in the cover are as such, how would you describe the reaction? Well, I think people saw him then as a target of criticism. We we tend not to embrace people. I mean, we put people on pedestals and then seem to enjoy when they fall, right? Mm. And I know that happened in his minor league career. I remember going to see him, uh, I think it was in Hagerstown in Class A ball. And, you know, fans, especially if he's playing on the road and sometimes even at home, knew who he was. And that just doesn't happen in baseball. You don't have celebrity minor league <laughs> players in baseball, right? Uh, unless it's Michael Jordan years ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what I saw was the world really knew who he was, sometimes closing in on him, definitely hypercritical of a guy who is still a teenager. I mean, my goodness, can you imagine the rest of us growing up as teenagers with the wall... The world pointing out our faults and mistakes. I know. I'm trying to remember being 16 and... I thought he bore it well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think the reaction was, this kid can't possibly be that good. Let's see if we can tear him down. I think it takes a little bit of arrogance for any great athlete, right? You have to believe in yourself before others believe in you. And I think early in his career, that kind of uh, blew up, if you will, on Bryce in terms of the critics. Yeah. You know, he blows a kiss to a pitcher in the minor leagues when he hits a home run off him as he's rounding the <laughs> bases. You know, the eye black stuff that he used to wear at junior college. And, and people didn't want to like Bryce Harper because they saw that arrogance that you talked about, Pablo, that maybe it was just too much in your face. You know, it's also funny to think back on your story now because Bryce Harper, in the present tense, is this star outfielder and he's always been an outfielder in the majors. But prior to being drafted number one overall by the Nats in 2010, what position did he play? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that seems to be lost in history a lot that he was a catcher. You know, as a high school player, he was a catcher. And, you know, I watched him play a couple of games behind the plate. And I mean, he could throw, it really fit his personality. I still think to this day, there is something within Bryce Harper that would love to be a catcher because let's face it, it's like the captain on the field, the control person of the game, mm. and that suits his personality. But what happened was not just the Nationals, but I think Scott Boris was involved in this too, that Bryce Harper is a generational hitter when it comes to his talent as a hitter. And they would be not just risking it, but maybe even ruining it by having him go through the rigors of catching. So it was decided right away, let's let's get him in the outfield and essentially preserve his body to put up what are going to be Hall of Fame numbers as a hitter because I'm not sure he'd be the same kind of player if he were a catcher. I'm sure he wouldn't be just based on the toll, the physical toll, the wear and tear. So 
Yeah, he was a great high school catcher, but had no future in the pros because he was too good of a hitter. So he spends one year in the minors. He's brought up to the big leagues in April 2012. He's 19 now. And his debut in the majors, what was the hype like around that? What do you remember about that rookie season? Yeah, I guess the big leagues in Los Angeles and Dodger Stadium, of course. I mean, it's, it's almost as big of a stage as you can get. There obviously was a lot of hype. It is now the debut tonight of Bryce Harper, who makes his Major League debut for the Nationals tonight at age 19. He won't be 20 until October. The long-awaited arrival of the young guy out of Las Vegas, Nevada, who just a couple of years ago was hitting something like 626 in high school as a sophomore. Yeah, Tom, in terms of the hype here, there was so much of it that Bryce Harper actually gets booed as he steps up to the plate in Los Angeles for his first at-bat in the majors. Coming to the plate, making his major league debut. Left fielder number 34, Bryce Harper. Yeah, I think right away he was a polarizing figure, which is weird, right? For some reason, he came across as a villain to a lot of people. And I would tell people or ask people a lot, what is it about Bryce Harper that you don't like? Like, what has he done to create the criticism? Maybe it was that he played too hard. You know, he was expressive. And, you know, the game was just starting to change where some of these things were, if you want to say, allowed or at least accepted in mm -hmm. the game. Right. The unwritten rules, bat flips, that whole culture. This was, this was not yet there in terms of where we are now. Not really. But when you look at some of the things he was criticized for, it was sort of like just body language type stuff. Anything off the field? No, there's nothing there. He, you know, he conducted himself really well. He sort of was infamous for really no reason other than he played the game hard and he had a resume before he arrived. So how did that infamy, that perception as a villain, warranted or not, how did that affect his early days in the big leagues? I just know this, that Bryce grew up always with the spotlight on him. I think even before the SI cover, obviously that brought it to another level and the LeBron comparison. But I think it was always more about Bryce than it was about the team he was playing for. And I think that was true at the Washington Nationals. Since the day he got to the big leagues at 19, people were wondering, where is he going next, right? Is mm -hmm. he going to be a Yankee? Is he going to be a Dodger? With Scott Boris as his agent, you knew he was going to be a free agent at the age of 25, 26, and max out on value. So I got the sense that the minute he stepped on a baseball field, there was a countdown clock to free agency. And it began more than a year before he actually was a free agent. So imagine you're playing all the time with the focus on you as an individual and where you're going next, rather than your team in the here and now. Coming up, how Bryce Harper went from boy phenom to now $330 million man. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. 
One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All of the reputation, the questions, the hype, right? I mean, he ends up winning an MVP in 2015. And the Nationals, they have some really good teams, but never realized their postseason ambitions with him there. But the person that I want to sort of provide some contrast with, juxtapose Bryce with at this time, is Mike Trout. Because this is the other generational figure. This is the guy who gets none of the villainy that is ascribed to Bryce Harper from afar. Was Bryce aware of the comparisons with him and Trout? Did he care about them at all? Uh, he No, he was aware of them. I think they get along personally, but I think in terms of the comparisons, you know, I think Bryce would tell you this early on, that Mike was a better player. I mean, he was more accomplished. Bryce, I think, actually thought it was a little bit unfair to Mike Trout for people to compare Bryce to him, but they were sort of arriving on the scene at the same time. To me, it was the beginning of the phenom era. Since then, we've seen a lot of guys from Tatis to Vladi to a lot of these guys at 20, 21 years old come in, hit the ground running as impact players. I think that group really started with Trout and Harper. So the comparison really, I, I thought was a little bit unfair. I got it because they were superstar players at such a young age. But I think Bryce thought, you know, Mike is a little bit older, I think a year older, uh, but Mike was just a better player. And early in his career, it's funny that, that Bryce got this knock that, you know, he was injury prone. And part of that was he played the game so hard, but he was injury prone and missed some time. And, and Trout was just putting up numbers every year. And that flipped, right? You know, now you look at Bryce Harper in the last, I don't know, five years, much more durable than Mike Trout. So that was another thing in terms of the, com the comparisons between the two of them. Bryce sort of suffered early on because he just didn't have the volume in his first three or four years. The other reason Bryce was suffering, I mean, we talked about his villainy before, but this all kind of came to the fore in the second half of his time with the Nationals, right? I mean, there were a couple of on-the-field incidents that I do just want to squeeze in here. I mean, in 2015, Harper refuses to run out a pop-up, which results in a fight with Jonathan Papelbon, his teammate, and Papelbon chokes Harper in the home dugout. There is something going on in the dugout. See Papelbon saying, run the ball out. And Bryce saying, you got to be kidding me. And then Papelbon went right after Harper. It's getting ugly, folks. There's no other way to put it. And then in 2017, Giants reliever Hunter Strickland hits Harper with a pitch. And Harper responded like this. Whoa! And Bryce Harper wants a piece of Hunter Strickland. Here they go! Strickland lands a punch. Harper lands a punch. Bench is empty. And so in 2019, when Bryce Harper is 26 years old and he's a free agent now, he signs this massive deal with the Phillies. A 13-year, $330 million contract that clearly comes despite those incidents, right? The Phillies clearly believe in Harper's ability and his character, despite all of that. You know, it's interesting because I thought he didn't have a great market because he, his walk season, that last season heading into free agency, he played really well at the end of the season, but in some ways it was a down season for him. Slugging mm -hmm. percentage slightly under 500. The defensive metrics didn't like Bryce Harper in right field for whatever reason, but... As you said, he's 25, 26 years old, and he's put up some incredible numbers at that age, 
you know, a really proven power middle of the order bat. Looking back on it, you wonder why more teams didn't get in on Bryce Harper. <laughs> yeah, I now wonder that. Um, I wonder how much they wonder that now. I mean, Bryce Harper is definitely, I, I think, one of the, what, the three most recognizable no doubt. Uh, baseball players. There's not a long list of guys <laughs> like a casual fan would recognize. He's one of them, and he's an exciting player too. So listen, give credit to the Phillies. Um, it's funny. I was talking to John Middleton, their owner about going back over. And when they did sign Bryce in 2019, he said, what really stood out was his character. He said, I got the feeling that if I gave him 300 million, 400 million or 500 million, he wasn't going to change. He was like, I'll hit wherever you want. I'll play whatever position you want. I just want to be in one place and I want to win. And the idea that Bryce Harper did not want the opt-outs, did not want the traditional flexibilities that the actual LeBron James prefers out of his NBA deals. What did that signal to you? How surprising was that? Yeah, that's a great point because I mentioned that last year in Washington wasn't, wasn't one of his great seasons. It was a really good season, don't get me wrong. But the smart thing might have been is to get one of these opt-outs. And that's where everybody seems to be going, right? It's the best of all worlds. You have the security and flexibility to go get yourself some more money if things turn on the upswing. Right. And now think about this. Imagine if he had an opt-out right now. <laughs> after this season, <laughs> after winning an MVP in Philly, and then this postseason, I mean, my goodness. I mean, you could honestly say right now that he's underpaid based on his average annual value. Yes. Uh, but he did specifically tell Scott Boris, who's like the king of these opt-out clauses, I don't want one. I, I don't want people to start talking about me going to the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Cubs and speculation. He he just played under that for so long. He just wanted the security of playing in one place and just let me play ball and, and try to win. I give a lot of credit for that because, yeah, in the long run, it costs the money. Now I'm saying that, and obviously he's a $330 million contract. He's doing just fine. It's all relative, of but, course. Yeah, but if you really want to max your value out, he definitely cost himself money, but he bought himself security. And look, I mean, that same season, by the way, it wasn't looking like the brightest financial move also, just simply because like some shine came off of him after the Nationals won the World Series after he left. I mean, what was the conversation around Bryce as the Nats going off and doing that without him is concerned? Yeah, I mean, Juan Soto had a lot to do with that, right? I mean, if you're Nats, it's it's kind of easy to turn the page when you've got a guy like Soto ready to step in and play that role. And it was a magical season, which happens when you win a World Series. I don't think it was because they did not have Bryce Harper. But yeah, the juxtaposition of that first year, he's not there. And the Phillies, by the way, another losing season, and they had had six in a row before he got there. Do you start wondering, are they ever going to win in Philadelphia when they just won in Washington? So that is the most important thing to Bryce. There's no question about that. And they've, I, I think they've come quicker than, I don't know if they thought, but most people thought in terms of the Phillies being in the World Series. But again, now they're having the kind of magical run that Washington had. I mean, you think about Washington, the way they won the wild card game in 19, where the ball bounces past Trent Grisham in right field. Yes. I mean, things literally have to bounce your way. And it's sort of doing that for the Phillies now. If you watch Castellanos' base hit that missed the pitcher and hit the second base bag and drives in a run, I think Harper scored on that ball. There's a lot of things going right and bouncing their way. After the break, 
which way the Astros might go in the World Series when Bryce Harper is at the plate. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Tom, last year, Bryce Harper wins MVP again. And the Phillies, despite that, they barely finish over 500. They miss the playoffs. And then this season, the Phillies get off to a truly abysmal start. They fire Joe Girardi, their manager, midseason. And then in the summer, Bryce Harper injures his thumb. He has surgery on that thumb, and he misses 52 games in all. And it's not until late August that he returns, right as the Phillies are making this push into the postseason. So what did Harper's return mean for this team? Well, I'll tell you what happened was when he came back from that thumb injury, and I've talked to Kevin Long, the hitting coach about this, uh, he was protecting his hand. You know, Kevin will tell you, he needed every bit of that last, I think it was five weeks to just get confident with his thumb and his hand. Um, He was not hitting for power at the end of the season when he came back. He was not turning on the ball. He was not, there was no pull power in Bryce Harper's game. That flipped in the postseason. Now, it was partly a result of getting those at-bats and getting back in there and realizing that the thumb is okay and he he can really control the barrel. But it's also, as Kevin Long said, a matter of flipping the switch. Now, that's how good Bryce Harper is because we've all been told you can't do that. Yeah, no, this feels like something that I am immediately skeptical of, Tom. Yeah, you can't do it. We've all heard that, right? You can't just flip the switch. But Kevin Long swears this is one guy who can do it. That in this environment now where it's, it's you know, it's short season, it's tournament time, back in travel ball and in, in, in San Diego or Vegas, wherever he's playing, where it's winter go home, it's bringing out the best in Bryce Harper. And it's not so much the spotlight as it is the opportunity to win. I think that's what's driving him. He loves this group of guys. They're playing loose. I mean, if you're around the Phillies the way I've been, Man, it feels like a college team. It really does. And I know Matt Vierling, the center fielder, said this as well. He, fe- he said, I feel like I'm back in college. 
They look like they're having so much fun. Exactly. They're having fun. They're goofy. They have these stupid songs that have become anthems for them. You know, after the game, they have the smoke machines, the disco ball and the the mirrors and lights and all this stuff. Uh, Everything is loose. And Bryce is really enjoying that. You know, one of the, really the most interesting thing his dad told me was that all he wanted for Bryce Harper was for his son to be happy. And he thought now watching him play in this postseason, it's really the first time he has seen that on his face, in his eyes, in his body language since back in 2009 when he was playing mm. on the USA 18 and under national team. Because on that team were guys like Manny Machado, Nick Castellanos, Jamison Tyone, People knew who he was, but he was surrounded by stars. And it was about putting on the jersey with USA on it and going out there and trying to beat Cuba, right? It wasn't about free agency. It wasn't about where you're playing next. It wasn't about can you win an MVP or a home run title. It was about can we win? And it was interesting for his dad to say, all I ever wanted was to see that again, that looseness and just playing for the joy of winning and being surrounded by teammates. And he's he's back there. You know, he's basically back to when he was 17 years old with the way he plays the game so free. The idea, the implication then that Bryce Harper, despite the rise, the MVPs, the hundreds of millions of dollars, the fame, the accolades, all of that, until now, not since you had seen him when he was a teenager, had he actually been happy is kind of staggering, Tom. I mean, the idea that this is an athlete who just didn't find as much joy in the doing of the job, even as he was doing it so successfully. Well, I think that's right. Um, it, It does sound staggering, but I wouldn't say he wasn't happy. I just think he's gone to a whole different level. And there's so much freedom now attached to the way that he carries himself. I can tell you, me personally, I saw that right away in this postseason. And it was just, it's hard to describe, but it is a look in his eyes, the way he carries himself. And that's, I went to Rob Thompson, who's been with him now for a few years. Yeah, the current manager of the Phillies. And I said, am I wrong? Or am I seeing a, a, a like a more relaxed, comfortable Bryce Harper? And he said, no, you're absolutely right. I see the same thing. It's hard to describe. You're around him, you see it. So yeah, it, it's there. And I don't want to say that he wasn't happy before, but I think now he's happy for the right reasons. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching him post-game, talking to you, talking into this microphone in front of this packed, delirious, and absolutely hammered ballpark. <laughs> and he sounds he sounds like he's running for office. Bryce, you signed here 13 years. You said no opt-outs. I want a long-term home. Philly will be my long-term home. When did you believe that a night like this could happen for you and this franchise? I think we always believed, right? There was no no emotion or anything that it wasn't going to happen, that we weren't going to be back and have this opportunity to be here. And with this team, with this organization, with these fans, with this city, we got four more. Let's go get it. It sounds like Bryce Harper knows exactly what the fan base wants to hear. And he just looks like he's in a comfort zone as a as a public figure, as a charismatic leader that that was jumping off the screen to me. <laughs> it's interesting you said that because, you know, we'll go back to the quote in the SI story back when he was 16 saying he wanted to be the greatest player ever. What happened to that quote machine, right? Right. But I will tell you this. <laughs> I spoke with him. I forget which game it was. It was after one of his good games in the NLCS. And 
I said, man, I said, is this like the best you felt at the plate? You know, like what, what does it feel like? What, what's going on in the batter's box? And he said, honestly, he said, I don't even analyze it right now. He said, I just, I'm getting in the box. I'm going to work. I'm trying to do my best. And he said, I'm just in this zone and I'm leaving it at that. I'm not trying to step away from anything and, and look big picture or analyze anything. And it's, it really is that simple. I tell you that story because that politician speak that you, that you think you saw there, that's just where he is right now. I really believe that. I don't think he's trying to hide something. Um, I think he's just in this very different place that's very simple. He's very he's, He has simplified things. Um, and that includes the way, you know, his quotes and the way he addresses questions. I mean, I mean, you've heard him throughout this postseason, right? It, if you ask Bryce a question right now, he will turn it into an answer about his teammates and the team. Bryce, you've hit... So many big home runs, had so many big moments, but the one tonight, the home run that puts this team in the World Series, tell me what that means to you. Yeah, I mean, my teammates, tell you the truth, they keep me going every day. They keep me fired up, they keep me moving. Uh, you know, they're the reason why we're here. Not just myself, but everybody in here. Reese Hoskins, unbelievable homers today, yesterday. JT Romuto, his fingers, unbelievable. Zach Wheeler threw the crap out of it today as well. And this fan base, are you kidding me? Let's go. So the very last question, Tom, is what are you expecting, man? Like, what are you about to cover this World Series? You've seen it all. You've chronicled it all. What the hell are we about to get here? Yeah, I think we're getting moments here in this World Series. I mean... It, it's going to pivot around Bryce Harper because he's just so hot and so good right now. And I say pivot because there are times when I think if Houston is smart, they will not let Bryce Harper beat them. So I always use this analogy, like back in the day when Lawrence Taylor was doing his thing for the Giants on defense, right? If you were a quarterback or an offensive coordinator, you would have to account for Lawrence Taylor on every play. Like, where is he this time? What's he doing? Is he dropping back? Is he rushing? Um, all these things that he would just influence a play before the ball was snapped. That to me is Bryce Harper in this series. You know, you look at the Astros, they'll, they'll be counting the spots to, to when he comes up in the lineup. Is there somebody on base? Um, they don't really have matchup lefties in their bullpen. Their righties get out lefties just as well as righties. But right now, Dusty Baker is thinking about when the game is on the line, what am I doing with Bryce Harper? Who are the guys that I want to pitch to Bryce Harper? Is it Abreu? Is it Javier? Is it, you know, is it Presley early? I mean, whatever that answer is, it will dictate where this series goes. So there's a moment where they have to avoid him, or maybe there's a moment where they have to pitch him and he comes through. But I do think he's the fulcrum on which this series turns. And we just break out the popcorn and watch. Tom Berducci, the man who has warned us about everything that has happened over this last postseason over 13 years ago now. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. For more Tom Verducci, you can check out his latest book, The Book of Joe, Trying Not to Suck at Baseball and Life with Joe Madden. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. 
Special thanks this week to Tyrus Ray and Jackson Agelow. I'll talk to you Monday. <laughs> <laughs>